right, welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who, when the world is running down, he makes the best of what's still around. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben Hamid. Hola. So for this episode, we have a very special guest. He's the drummer of one of my favorite bands, the band that was featured in episode 14 when Wayne and I discussed the 12 essential Nada Surf songs. Please welcome to the podcast, Nada Surf's drummer, Ira Elliott. Hey, guys. Thank you so much. What a lovely intro. Thank you. I got to listen to that. I haven't listened to that episode. I should go listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) I I know, but would it be a little weird listening to a podcast that's dedicated to, um, you know, your, your music, the the music? Yeah, that's probably the reason I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not one to sit around and listen to not a surf record. It's a little bit, uh, it can be distressing for me because I'm, I'm too, uh, I'm very, very judgmental about myself. You're, you're, you're too, you're too close. I'm much too close to really appreciate it for what it probably really is. Right, right. So uh, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each of our podcasts, we ask the all-important question. So I'm going to throw this out to Ira first. What T-shirt are you wearing? Oh, well, I wore I, – I, knowing that I, I get it, I, this was going to happen, you, I got a little advance notice. I'm wearing uh, my favorite uh, Bambi Kino T-shirt. Did I ever tell you about the Bambi Kino? Did I mention that to no, you? No, no. Bambi Kino is. Do you reckon? Do you know who that reference is? Does that ring a bell? Bambi Kino. Are you a beat? Are, are either of you Beatles guys? Do you know anything about the Beatles? I am a Beatles fan like to a certain extent. Right. Well, uh, Bambi Kino was a was a uh, small movie theater in Hamburg, uh, just up the street from uh, a, a club. The the first club the Beatles played in Hamburg in 1960 was a place called the Indra. It was one of three or four places they end up playing in in Hamburg over a course of like a year and a half, two years. Okay, uh, most mostly without Ringo. But anyway, their first show was at the the, the first shows for a couple of months in late 1960 were at uh, were at the Indra, and up they stayed up the street at this little movie theater called the Bambi Kino. And so um, some years ago, it was around 2010, which was the 50th anniversary of those performances. I was in Hamburg with some friends of mine about a year before actually 2009 and we were looking around at beetle locations and you know doing a little beetle tourism and we came upon the indra it's still a working club uh and uh, we said well wouldn't it be great if a band played in the anniversary of this what we felt was a momentous historical cultural moment the beatles first shows in hamburg um, and so we ended up taking it upon ourselves. We put together a band. It was myself, my friend Mark Razzo from the band. Uh, we have a band called Maplewood. Um, uh, and we played a number of bands together. Okay. Champagne. And we had uh, Doug Gillard, who you know from the Guided by Voices yep. uh, band, among others. And our, my friend Eric Paparosi, who plays with uh, Cat Power, among other things. So we put together this kind of hotshot band. And we, we played, uh, as the Beatles did, in this little club for four nights running. We started at about eight o'clock at night. We went till about one o'clock in the nice. morning. You know, an hour on, half hour off. We learned like ninety songs, and uh, we still do this on occasion. We're kind of like all over the. We're kind of spread all over the map right now. But it's uh, it's a hot band, and the Bambi Kino. There's videos out there on the YouTube's, so uh, you can see some of that. But it's one of my favorite bands in the world. I've never had more fun playing in a band, and it's all that you know, only stuff that they played 
from 1959, 60 to about 60, end of 62. That's all we ever, that's all we played. Okay. So, so, so none of the, none of the big hits that, uh, yeah. No, no, they didn't play. They played, they played, as whatever, they played very little of their own material at the time. They only played, like, uh, I saw her standing there. It was something they played regularly. Okay. They were kind of a bar band and they, they didn't really think people would be so much into their original material. So they really focused on cover songs until they until their first single hit the radio. Again, around that time, end of '62, they started playing their own material. But mostly, it's gotcha. Covers. All right, excellent choice, uh, Wayne. Yeah, well, I got. I knew I get to plug exactly, something. exactly, <laughs> exactly. How about you, Wayne? What T-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing my Adamant Prince Charming. Yeah, nice. Okay. Oh, so I'm 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 revisiting. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say I'm revisiting one of my T-shirts from uh, that I've worn already on an episode. So um, I, I guess I'm uh, I'm lame. I'm wearing one of my social d- distortion T-shirts. So, oh, nothing lame about that. All right. No, no. Well, you know, and I and I thought about wearing my Not a Surf 2018 tour shirt, but I tip I typically oh. adhere to the "Don't be the guy that wears the shirt of the band to the concert" mantra. <laughs> and, I, and i'm and i'm curious if that same mantra applies to podcasting i don't know it's kind of yeah you could well you could be you could be totally naked man no one, no one would know you could say whatever right. you wanted but yeah i had that same thing like i occasionally i want to wear not a surf t-shirts because you know some of my occasionally i see some of my heroes wearing their own band's t-shirt it's not commonly done um but occasionally you'll see like joe strummer Wearing a Clash T-shirt. I mean, if that's not cool, I don't know right. what it is, right? Or I think I think Copeland occasionally probably wore a police T-shirt. I attend to like during the course of a tour. I ask the T-shirt people like, "Is there anything that's not really selling?" And they'll go, "Well, this yellow one." And I'll go, "Well, I'll wear that one." And then you know, hopefully, you know, sell a few more. If I here, if I'm wearing it, maybe people will think it's cool. Right, right. But I really, I don't, I don't really wear not a surf. I do have some not a surf, really good not a surf T-shirts. I find them difficult to wear. You and you guys, you guys have some great designs. Like I, 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 I will go to some some shows where I'm like, I'm committed. I'm going to buy a T-shirt of the of this particular band, and then I get to the merch table and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I can't see myself wearing any of this stuff. Yeah, we're design monsters. We are totally uh, uh, crazy control freaks when it comes to design. We usually go through a series of ten or fifteen or things. We we send out, we farm it out. And then we get these designs back and we all sort of weigh in and what goes and what doesn't go. We, there's nothing not a surf hates more than bad. Yeah, design. absolutely. So, so let's go back to that. Cause on my, on the last episode that I just recorded, we talked about uh, one of my favorite bands, Wilco. I did that with, with one mm-hmm. of my best buds and we were, we, and we were chatting about the don't be that guy um, type of mantra. So, so <laughs> right. where, where do you, where do you stack up on that, that whole premise of, don't don't be the guy who wears a not a surf t-shirt to a not a surf concert. I mean, oh, I'm totally cool with that. Okay. I love it. I love it. That's just a fan thing. Like they're just showing their appreciation. And sometimes they show up. I've seen people show up in handmade ones that they okay. make themselves. You can't right. beat that. I think it's just great. And a lot of times they'll show up in shirts from that are you know fifty. Well, now fifteen or twenty years old. We'll get fans from yeah. So you guys back in 1998, and um, here's the shirt. I'm like, you can't. You can't argue with that. Like, well, how? Where's the downside there? I think it's totally. Uh, people can wear to whatever they want to a not a surf show as long as they're there. They can wear. All right, there you they go. Can wear a All right, we I heard it matter to me. I'm totally yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so, so Wayne, uh, you you just went and saw the posies. Did they have any T-shirts for sale? <laughs> no, no I, I took a look around, but there was a lot of beer for sale, but no T-shirts. Yeah, well, oh, well. Wow. I haven't been. I've are they? They're not. Do they have new? Are they are they actively promoting something new, or are they just playing? Um, they, they, they. I guess they just finished a thirtieth year anniversary tour, and uh, they did. They said they're gonna have. They were gonna. They're gonna go dark and start because uh, they're gonna be working on some stuff. Good. Yeah, they they did a whole bunch of uh, remasters on all of their Geffen catalog. So Deer Twenty Three uh-huh. and Frosting on the Beater and and. Um, now, now the other one is escaping me. What's what's the the oh, one with effing liar on it? Um, so yeah, so they just did they just did a whole bunch of remasters of of those those Geffen takes, and um, yeah, so it's it's good. I'd like to hear that. that was a great record. I listened to Frosting on the Beater pretty religiously. A lot. Yeah. All right, yeah. so uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot as to whether or not you listen to our episode because I, I think you already said um, maybe I should go listen to it. Um, so my my top song that I chose was uh, was "See These Bones." That's that's my that's oh. my favorite not a surf song. Uh, Wayne hated my choice for the live version of "Are You Lightning." Hates a strong word. He he wanted to he wanted to highlight yeah. the drumming, and I thought the drumming yeah, on the studio okay. version was was. Better, I, I probably just, better. What was the what? There was a live version from where? From the Neptune, uh, I think. No, the the live version for "Are You Lightning" was the uh, was the one that you guys did with the uh, the symphony, the orchestra. That's not right, right. Well, yeah, that was one of those songs where I just had to sort of play almost nothing. Like "Are You Lightning" is so kind of relaxed and laid back. It was kind of I had to kind of try to disappear. And it, playing with the orchestra makes it really easy to disappear. Right. You just have to kind of like go back in there i really I, I gotta say playing with that orchestra man that was a good time i was really i was nervous i was so freaked out um because i'm you know conductors that's a whole other ballpark like i gotta watch another guy who's he's who's keeping the time him me how is this gonna work uh but so i was the, the live one that you're talking about wayne is uh, the way you wear your head I like I like I like the live uh, version better than I like the studio version just because you're 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 going off on uh, the drums on that particular recording. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things I get to sort of really dig in. I tend to be a speed for live. I tend to be well, not unlike Stuart Copeland. I tend to be uh and he was the reason and again, we'll get back to this. Stuart Copeland's a tremendous influence on me. And uh, he was kind of, like I saw myself in him. And he was one of these guys who would brought a lot of energy and a lot of forward momentum. As a matter of fact, kind of a rushy forward speed yeah. speedy kind of guy and um and i played the same way and uh so i think i still do this like the excitement of playing live i tend to sort of go a little faster and, and you know you know you're live it doesn't really matter no one's really holding you to a clock and, right so no i'm glad you i'm glad you like that That's i like great that song it's great really um oh, and i just want to i just want to interject one thing the name of the record was amazing disgrace that's that's it that's amazing it. disgrace that's that's correct. And now I feel disgraced not remembering what the name of it was. I can I can sleep. No, no, that's uh, that's that's one of those those little factoids. That's great. I'm glad <laughs> we got that out of the way. All right. So sleep. before we jump into the record that you selected, so 2018 was a busy year for you. You and the band were all over the world touring on behalf of the 15th anniversary of Let Go. We did. We so did. what's in store for 2019? I mean, I saw a recent Instagram post from Matthew that seemed to suggest that you guys are 
Maybe doing yeah. some recording, or am I misreading that yeah. post? No, you are not misreading that at all. We are we are in our way, in our, and you know it's one of those things that you never you can never wow to be a band for twenty years, man. There's no rule book, right? There's no you know being in a band for twenty years for dummies. There's just no thing like you, so it should keep you keep having to change, uh, and the 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 hurdles that we have now are to band, as a band are not creative ones or personal ones it's just physical ones like daniel lives somewhere out in the depths of spain matthew lives in jolly old england and i live in jolly old florida so um so to simply get together to work on stuff you either have to sort of like mail each other files back and forth which is totally acceptable on some level but really to write songs the best thing to do is just like close the door sit look at each other pick up your instruments and play so we for the past uh for we've had two sessions we just i just came back actually from a week uh, a few days ago, and then we a few about a month or two ago, we did the same thing. We just went. We all flew to Cambridge, which is where Matthew was living. Right, lovely, lovely. Uh, some colleges in Cambridge. Turns out there's a bunch of them. There's like there's like twenty five. There's like you can't fall over without hitting a college in Cambridge. And uh, and so we were there in a studio, lovely little rehearsal studio, for uh, uh, for a week or so. And we went in in the morning and uh, with our friend Louis, who's a keyboard player. And we came out, and now after two two uh, weeks there, on and off, we have around a ten, maybe a dozen songs potential. Some of them, you know, they're like they're kind of like forming. They're like half formed. Some of them are fully formed. Some are half formed. And we're hoping to do some recording uh, uh, in. Uh, I think it looks like April, end of April. We're going to go uh, to uh, Wales. Uh, north of England, and uh, there's a lovely studio, very famous studio there called Rockfield. And if you look that one up, you'll uh, uh, you'll see that it's a uh, huge studio that was made. One of the first studios, evidently, built to be a residence as well as a studio. So the band lives there and records. Nice. And uh, uh, yeah, it's really that's the way we made uh, a lot of. We made a couple of records that way. We lived at the studio where we made uh, um, the, uh, part of this most of the second record, uh, uh, Proximity Effect was made in residence at a studio in LA. Um, and it's really nice to live there. You just walk down, you go in, have some coffee and then start playing. Right. So we're going to go right. there in April and see, uh, see if we can knock out a couple of new not a surf jams. Great. I'll be one of the first yeah. in line to, uh, to, to pick that up. So looking forward to it. All right on. And then off to the races. Then we should be touring. We're looking at sort of potentially touring again by the, by the fall. Um, so, so we gave you the choice for this week's revisited record. Your choice was the police's regatta de Blanc. I guess I, I could say I gave you carte blanche. I guess that's another French saying to pick uh, the record for this blanc. episode. Um, and I, and I would have thought right. that you would have picked a Beatles album because we, when, yes. when, when, when yes. you and I had brunch, you were, you know, we talked at length about Ringo and, and the Beatles. Sure. No, that's all I ever talk about. Unfortunately, that's why I didn't <laughs> want to do it because that's all I ever talk about. I'm tired of hearing myself talk about Ringo. I have the, you know, I, I, I've wanted to start my own podcast for a long time. I'm such a Beatles fan that I make myself sick. So I, I what I wanted to do was kind of a Stephen Colbert character where I was like this, uh, like a Beatle hater. <laughs> okay. I was going to call it, I'm going to call it the, uh, the P-Man's Beatle haters club. And people are going to call in and tell me why they love this or that Beatles song. And I'm going to be like, really? You like that song? That's awful. You know, and I'd just be like the anti-Beatles guy. I want to play this sort of complete opposite of what I am. Because I just like make myself nauseous. Like it's Beatles all the time. I get in the car. I'm either listening to the news or I'm listening to the Beatles satellite radio station. It's very comforting. I love the Beatles so much. It, I can't really. It's an un, it's an unbelievable obsession. And I, and I 
just like their music is so soothing and there's always so much detail to it and so many more things to learn about it. All right. And I know uh, we, we exchanged some, some, some messages about whether or not you were going to pick a, a big star album or XTC. Right. These are really pivotal, pivotal records. I was, you know, I'm in the middle of writing a little article about um, power pop drumming. And, uh, and I was sort of just kind of going over like, you know, the style of power pop is sort of its own little world. And uh, I was looking at uh, the fact that 1979 was a really huge year for power pop. There's a lot of power pop came, power pop kind of went mainstream in 79. It was like uh, the knack, Blondie, uh, uh, Cheap Trick had like Live at Budokan that year and uh, Dream Police. Uh, the romantic, that first knack album is so good. Yeah. The first knack album, the, you know, the romantics recorded their first album in 1979. It was like a power pop world in 1979. So I was looking at a list of records from 1979. It turns out like every record I really like <laughs> pretty much like 90% of them. And I guess maybe it was cause I was 16 and that's like a good age to be, uh, yeah. you know, came and including this record, uh, uh um, uh, Regatta Blanc was also from 1979. Um, not a power pop record, obviously, but I wanted to get, uh, so, uh, so the, uh, so, uh, big star were big on my mind in, in the power pop sense. And I was thinking about that, but again, like, you know, I thought like, well, I'm, well, I'm, this is a record I'm really intimately, I didn't really hear power, uh, uh, big star until 1992, I think when it first, when they were first available on CD. Um, but this is a record, uh, Regatta was a record that I was intimately involved with. I listened to this record every day. All the time, there was about a four-year period in my life from, from about 78 to about 82 or 3 where I listened to the police like religiously. My room was a shrine to the police. It was – you would not believe it. It was like a, like a joke. Like everyone my, – my, uh, my, my high school yearbook picture, I, there was, happened to be the day we took pictures. There was, a, there was a blue and white New York City police car parked out front of the, the school. I just put myself right up against it with the word police right over my head. Like I was out, it was, it was ridiculous, ridiculous. So I, I love the police so much. And I figured there's any record I knew I could talk about. I think the police, like the Beatles have a, they're a band you can, you can get that into. I mean, they're, Oh yeah. No, they, they, uh, there's just so much about them. Um, oh yeah. Just, like I say, from uh, these punk rock roots and these three incredible musicians. Like yeah. I, I, I knew when, if you would pick, uh, a police record. I had, I believe, as a drummer, I'm assuming I, I, to listen. And I never really listened to it. I've always been a police fan. I, I mean, but never, I, uh, I never really. I think listening to things through headphones, you really get another yeah, level. Yeah, you know, of, going going back to this record, and I, I'll talk about this. This is really a drummer's record. Like Stuart really rules the day on this record. There's some great singles, and there's some throwaway stuff on this record too. It's an, uh, you know, as I first listened back to it, and I. I was well. I don't want to talk. Give it all away because I have so many things. Like the, my my relationship with the police is so is so weird uh, because I was so uh, I I love them so much. I was so obsessed with them uh, uh, that you know for for a long time by the late '80s I didn't listen to them really at all because I was like, oh, that was something I did. It was just too much. Like I had to let them go. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into this. I have so many, uh, so much, so much uh, to say about the, my relationship with my relationship with the police, my relationship with Stuart Copeland. You know, my with these records, uh, it, you can't imagine a more heated obsession. And yeah, I always felt like, whereas uh, my sister had the Beatles as something to obsess on, um, I had the police to obsess on. So, did you find the police through 
the their first album or is this kind of uh, your first foray into them? Well, I, you know, I, I rem- the first thing I remember was I have a very, very vivid memory of coming downstairs into my living room, probably in 19, could have been 78 or early 79. And Roxanne had started to be played on the radio. Now, Roxanne was a hit um, around, I don't know, er, uh, early 78, I think, 70, no, 70, April 79, Roxanne had sort of hit the charts in England and probably didn't migrate over to the States until a, until a bit later, probably later 79, when I started to hear them. And I was immediately smitten with this sound. I'm like, who is this band? This is great. Uh, it got me on so many levels. The song was so interesting. Uh, so unusual, the, uh, and then the drumming in particular. And I was in the heat of a drumming. You know, I was a, like I said, I was seventy nine. I was sixteen, and I'd been playing the drums. I guess since I was around ten or eleven, I got my first kit, kind of basic kit, when I was eleven or twelve. And so now I was in the heat of this obsession. And Stuart, and when Stuart showed up, I was like, oh man, this is great. Listen to this guy. And I started to really obsessively listen and try to emulate his style, which I, I think I was very successful at doing. If he had fallen over during a concert, I could have I could have jumped right up there. No one would have noticed any difference. Beside the fact that I felt there was a physical similarity between Stuart and myself. We were both kind of tall, skinny dudes. Uh, you know, we were like the same shape. I really, really identified. With, I saw myself literally in Stuart Copeland. Um, and I, I, I adopted his style. I, I, uh, I just listened to those records obsessively. So yeah, uh, uh, but so 79 was a huge year for, for these records. And by, so the first thing I must have heard was Roxanne, but I don't remember getting that record till later. I think the first record I may have gotten was the second one um, when that came out. I, didn't buy, I think I bought, a, I, bought this, I bought Regatta when that came out and then went back and bought Outlandos second. And then from then on, whatever came out, then I, then I bought it as it came out. And was that because you loved Stuart Copeland or you loved the full band? There was a lot going on. That's the thing about the police. Not unlike the Beatles. And, I've always, and I always think like the, my sister, my older sister, who was a teenager when the Beatles landed, that was her obsession. And mine, again, I was a teenager and like the, the police really hit that button because they were, a, they were a, a completely rounded thing. They were an image... They were an attitude. They were these three guys, you know, the blonde hair thing gave them a kind of a uniform. They were uniform in the way, in a kind of in the way the Beatles were uniform, right? It was three guys in matching, four guys in matching suits. It was the police, all matching blonde hair guys with this kind of wonderful attitude. And, you know, they were kind of, they had a sort of a punk attitude. I think it was mostly Copeland brought this sort of punk attitude, this kind of I don't care kind of thing. And by the way, have, have you guys ever listened to Stuart Copeland's solo record? The Clark... The Clark Kent album? I have many, many years ago. I had yeah. I had a, a friend in college who was who was overly obsessed with the police. Um, yeah. kind, kind of similar, and where and I'm a couple of years younger than you, so you know my yeah. first my first foray into the, the 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 police really comes during the ghost ghost in the machine time period. But you know, right, I definitely right. definitely went back. Yeah. But he was right. he was super into, um, you know. Andy Summers and Robert Fripp had just put out right. their their you know a couple of their jazz albums, and he was like right. super into those because of that as well. And right. um, that was right about the time where Stewart was doing more of the 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 soundtrack soundtrack stuff, like the TV TV soundtrack stuff, yeah, like yeah film like soundtrack stuff, the Equalizer. I remember that one right. Uh, right. vividly. Right. Um, yeah, and so he he had he had all of those 
Clark Kent albums. And I mean, he right. had everything about the, the police. He right. Was yeah. I was a too. complete, complete fanatic. My room was really a shrine. There was just posters everywhere. And I was, whatever available income I had from whatever dog walking, <laughs> I would just go into the city and I would buy, I would go to Bleaker Bob's or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, there's a, a 45 or a, my collection. I still have the, the lion's share of it. I still have it at home in, in Queens. It's uh it's, pretty uh, uh, really i it was an it was a what an obsession unbelievable so yeah so it struck me all the way around uh, uh you know not only the sound of their music the sort of interesting way they were combining reggae and this sort of their you know but this is copeland's particular uh, aggressive attacky style which really stuck out and as a young drummer this really hit me like an arrow yeah how about you wayne when when did you discover the police the first thing i heard uh was don't stand so don't stand so close to me um i remember seeing the video like early in the morning out of nowhere i was probably like 11 yeah uh and then and then it was something that i just you just i think right about uh ghost in the machine uh, if not a little bit you started i just started hearing him on the radio all the time and then it was one of those things where i i really i just couldn't put my finger on why i I like these guys so much. They, there was it, the music. Um, I love that tinge of reggae. And then I just listened, I, you know, it was later on when, like when I had heard some stuff uh, at your house and when I heard so lonely, that was, I, I knew that <laughs> I, I, I knew I had to hear everything else. And I, that's when I started getting the tapes um, and, and listening to all of it, because before that it was a, it was a radio thing. You'd hear them on the radio. And I was like, gosh, these guys are so much better than everybody else. I don't know why they don't just play these guys more. And then yeah. once I heard some of that older stuff that I hadn't been exposed to, I was like, I have to, I have to hear the rest of it. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's, uh, let's jump into the, the record. So regatta de Blanc, give a little, uh, little bio info here. Second studio album sure. by the police, it was their first album to reach number one on the UK charts. Uh, it was their second album to bear a franglaise. That is is what uh, <laughs> is what uh, Wikipedia called it. Uh, right. So, Atlantos de Amor was, uh, of course, their their first album, um, and this actually proved to be both more popular and more successful than the than, than that first album. Um, I did uh, look at the Rolling Stone magazine list of uh, the 500 greatest albums of all time. Um, they rank this particular one at 372 on the list. Respectable. Yeah. So, um, so let me let me let me throw out what's around this particular album, and and let me get your your guys's uh, thoughts on whether or not maybe the police should be a little bit higher in that uh, that particular uh, list so number 371 is the arctic monkeys debut album whatever people say <laughs> i am that's what i'm not um and and that's and that's one band that everyone tells me that i should like but i'm just kind of marginal on do do we need to revisit uh, I, that album or, or no okay Okay. All right. <laughs> um, you know, I I can't say I know that album particularly well. Yeah. I'm not a big Arctic Monkeys fan, but they're they're not bad. They're uh, not okay. Bad. Number three seventy is Mott the Hoople's Mott. Oh, so that's interesting. The, that's the album that includes all the way from Memphis, which is a fantastic yeah, song. Right. 
Um, right. I don't really know right. anything else on that album besides yeah. Memphis. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I don't know that that either. Uh, that record either. I, I, I know that song. Yeah, you know, it's funny. This record is 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 weird because for all its success, it's it also got. I read through a bunch of reviews, and a lot of people really didn't like it. You know, they, it was people were really on the fence about the police. They had sort of gotten this formula. And a lot of people were pretty skeptical. Ah, oh, they're just, you know, they're faux punk or, you know, so a lot of people, for all the people that like this record and the people like me who snapped it up, I mean, it was an immediate success right out, right out of the box. They were hot. They were a hot property. Um, there was a lot of people who thought, eh, you know, whatever, it's okay. And when you listen to the record, you hear there's a lot of strong stuff and there's a lot of stuff that's kind of like, well, they just had to sort of make some stuff up. They, they didn't, they kind of had to, you know, we'll, we'll hear it through the record. It's pretty interesting. Um, combination yeah. of stuff yeah all right 369 that's the smiths louder than bombs that's a very good record which is, which is great yeah. 368 is the eagles debut album Ooh, wow and and yeah. here's and here's where i think rolling stone is just completely off base number 367 <laughs> is madonna's ray of light wow are you gonna tell me ray I... of light is really better than this album no, I, I would never. I would never no say should. that. But no one ever should say that. Uh, All right. Yeah. So, but again, I, I wouldn't want to have to put together a list of the 500 best anything. I mean, you know what? Are you kidding me? That's so hard to like. Where? How do? How do you put one in front of the other? Yeah, it sounds like fun to yeah. you get to about 60 or 70, and you're like, God, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, let's just shuffle them around. It doesn't yeah. really matter if, if it falls at seven seventeen or seven nineteen. Like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, it's kind of a, a, a amorphous. So which police album do you think Rolling Stone has their favorite based on the rankings? Oh. Favorite police album? Yes. Their highest rated High, police high, album? Oh, that's... Highest ranked police album on the Rolling Stone oh, top 500. That's that's interesting. I'm going to venture a guess and say, um, hmm, wow, that's tough. What Rolling Stone? I would, would they, uh, it, I don't know. I'm going to just pull Zenyatta Mandata out of the air not even ranked that's my that, not even in there that is my favorite oh. that is my favorite police album. record and it's, it's ghost in the machine ghost in the Mach- i'm just yeah, gonna start, yeah, na- ghost, start naming ghost in the machine was was listed at 323 uh interesting um, at, atlandos ranked 428 and then synchronicity hmm. was ranked 448 which i don't know that's hmm. that's a really great album i that's a, yeah. that was a huge, usually successful record, but I guess they they're not doing it. They're not going by like success or popularity. They're trying to, it's some other factor that I can't imagine. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, Ghost of the Machine was a really beautiful dark record. There's some great stuff on yeah. that record. So, so since this was your pick, is yeah. is this your favorite Police album? I always say that this is my favorite. This okay. is always when when people when I when I if I if the police come into a, a conversation, this is the one because I think they really gelled. There's a there's a simplicity about this record. It's you know they the production was not big. It was very the production was very similar to the first record. Very they did it very very quickly. As a matter of fact, if I think if I read the story correctly, they booked themselves whatever you know four weeks of time to do it, and they only needed two. So they unusual unusually canceled two weeks of recording time that they didn't need, which is pretty unusual for, for any kind of recording. Um, they kind of knocked it out. Um, so I, I like that quality about it. It's not fussy. It's just them playing. Uh, it doesn't have the bigger production, the bigger, more lush production of the later records. But it still has this kind of vibrancy that the first record had this really, uh, you know, very, very more punk rock kind of, yeah. uh, you know, immediacy. Um, 
uh, you know, are, you know, are the productions, you know, in, in later on when I revisited them, I thought maybe the productions are kind of thin. They're not, they're not quite as satisfying to listen to maybe as, as, uh, as time went by, but I really still stands to me like this is the one, if I just have to listen to one desert Island police record, this is the one I, I really like. No. And it's interesting that you would say that they, they had canceled some of their, recording sessions i some of the stuff that i read about this was that the recording sessions were were so short on some new material that they even had reconsidered re-recording some some old stuff that they had done in older singles right and um and 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 i'll have a little bit of those critiques as as we go through because they're well i'll i'll save it for some of some of the other other songs but um Right. Yeah, I thought that that was that was kind of interesting that they they came. Yeah, no, that was they they were hot. You know, when you I spent some time looking at their touring schedule uh, in seventy eight, seventy nine, and uh, if you get a chance to look at that, it's exhausting reading it. These guys, they started to tour really hard after they after they made uh, after you know Roxanne was a yeah. hit, and uh, they toured. Really, the numbers are are, are astonishing. It was like. A hundred shows. I think I wrote it down somewhere. Like, yeah, like the first tour they played, uh, like a hundred. Okay, the Atlantos tour, hundred and twenty-six shows. That's a lot. That's a lot. hundred and twenty-six. And uh, the same thing. The Regatta tour from from late from mid seventy-nine to uh, about April nineteen eighty. A hundred and twenty-six shows. Same amount. Same number of shows. That's in America, in Europe, uh, on in the Far East. Uh, those guys. They never stopped, and there was like two or three days so a European tour would end. They'd have like two days later, they'd be on the American. Like these guys worked hard, but they played a lot during that uh, during those Outlando shows. They were they were really in sync, and I think this record shows that they were really together, and they were able to make something out of nothing. That now you know you're making me feel a little bad um, because because oh. so I was a huge Sting fan. So when he, you know, he offshoot from uh, offshooted from from the police, you know, I I right. bought all of his albums. When Bring On the Night that that movie came out, I was one of three people that was actually in the movie audience. Um, Is that right? I, 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 Wayne, were you with me? I think maybe uh, no. I think maybe it was Richard that was with me. But we we were like this was at the Villa Plaza Theater. If you remember, remember nice. that. Um, black. They're lucky wow. to be alive. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there was, <laughs> what I, it was, it was in the ghetto of Tacoma or Lakewood, oh, Lakewood. Okay. Um, right. And there was three of us there um, to watch right. watch it on opening night. I mean, that's that. Yeah. Wow. Um, and and I, and, but I stopped being a Sting fan because I saw him in '96. I want to say whatever tour that was. Mm. And he yeah. phoned it in like it was, Oh no. Um, you know, that was my first time seeing him live. I was super excited. He played, he played 85 minutes. Yeah. And the opening band, the samples, they played an yeah. hour like, wow. And okay. The samples versus sting. I mean, think about stings catalog played only yeah. 85 minutes. And we walk away from that being so pissed off. We just felt, completely what uh, what tour what was he touring at the you time you know i'm trying to remember what which album it was it was the uh, the one where um 
not Dream of the Blue Turtles. Or no, 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 no. That was eighty. That was eighty. Oh yeah, that was yeah, much earlier. Was, yeah. Let me let me pull up the his discography and I could I could tell you I have to I have to scroll through some crap like uh, his collaboration with Shaggy, um, which <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> I yeah I didn't have the nerve I didn't have the nerve to even listen. If that, to that doesn't make you rethink your uh, your love for uh, yeah. for um, yeah. for Sting, uh, no, it's not. So it was yeah, Mercur- no. Mercury yeah. Falling, the Mercury Falling tour. Oh, Mercury yes. Falling. I don't. Yeah, I I, I lost the. I, you know, I I got off the Sting boat earlier. Yeah, a lot yeah. earlier. Yeah. yeah. So that that was that was the last of last of my uh, my Sting love. He did it. He did it to himself. <laughs> Let's jump into the record. Yes. So the album's title, anyone know what the pseudo French translation of I, I would imagine it would simply be white reggae. White reggae. Yes. White reggae. All right. Regatta de Blanc. All right, let's uh let's jump in. So uh first song on the album, this is Message in a Box. Message in a Bottle, definitely a well-recognized police song. This uh, hit the UK um, charts at uh, and peaked at one. U.S. Billboard Hot 100 peaked at 74. Um, B-side for this was Landlord. Ah, that's a really yes. early one. So why was that not on the album? I mean, it's. It's not Landlord. super great, but at least it's a it's no, it's not it's just not a good it's not a good song. That's why it was another <laughs> record. I think it was I think it was one of those old sort of Henry Potavani, you know, period things that they just got to you know they just needed some stuff. I think they they've been touring a lot, but they hadn't been writing clearly, so they didn't really have a lot of extra material. Um, I don't know, Landlord must have been just lying around like let's stick it on there. That I don't know that you wouldn't want to put that song that would have not been good no it's not great but i think it's at least it's at least better than some of the songs on this album like the next song for instance well here's the thing you can remember this about the next song we're about to hear first of all they wrote this one this was a filler there's no doubt that this song was filler they that's the first thing they'll tell you um but it it encapsulates something really interesting like this was this was a piece that they used to play in i think Maybe in so lonely, uh, you know, when they when they went out on their first tour, they, I think the first record only had about ten or eleven. Beside Masoko Tonga, they had there was only about ten right. or eleven songs that they could play every night. They even went. They they even played like "Be My Girl, Sally." They played that. That was a fan favorite, I guess, at the time. I guess anything about a blow up doll is going to be popular. <laughs> but um, uh, who doesn't who doesn't love that? Um, classic. It's a It's a you know. There you go. Like in every in every home of heartache, there was a great uh, Roxy music song about a similar similar time. Oh, Girl of My Dreams by Bram Tchaikovsky is also about a oh blow up gosh. doll. And that was a huge power pop hit probably the same year. Um, uh, so they had to fill time and they, they thought, well, let's just put this jam that we do 
Let's just throw that on the record. This was like a classic filler. But, and so I think I probably gave this the lowest rating of anything. But also, you must remember, this track won a Grammy that year for best best instrumental track. It won a Grammy. So it couldn't can't be that. Bad. Yeah, we'll 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 get to that. I still need to get everybody's scores on uh, on message in a bottle. I oh, totally okay. and I and I oh, to- okay. I totally led you there. I totally led you to the next song oh. talking about the B side. Okay. My Do you want my do you want to hear my score? My I scored it very high. That was one of the I mean I scored it 9. Message in a bottle. I mean, it's a great song. It's a great song. It's a classic. You know, it's it's funny about Message in a Bottle. It is a great song. It's if not their signature song, it's very one of their signature songs. But there's always this touch of dread that approaches me when the when that opening riff comes. Number one, because it's really? so recognizable, you know what's about to come. But I this I bet I've heard this song a thousand times, and yeah, because it because it's so good, it crosses generations. I mean, my older uncles and my dad. I mean, a radio station that they would listen to would play this. My kids. I mean, this. I don't know if you um, if you have them there, but there's these radio stations that is basically a 50 year old man's CD collection on shuffle, and you <laughs> Jack, it's, uh, yeah, out here it's yeah. Jack um, in Portland it's Bob. I think it started in Baltimore as <laughs> Tom, and right. you'll hear this song on there, and it, and that it goes away. But there's that originally it's like oh my god I've heard this song literally I've been listening to this song for 37 years I've heard the song a thousand times. But it is it is a great song, but it takes a few minutes to get into it um, because you just have heard it just has it is it's been played all the time by everybody on every radio station. Yeah, that's the thing that I always try to get back to, like the first time I heard it and what it what it sounded like when I first heard it. Yeah, sometimes something gets overplayed and you're like, all right, there it is again. And that's a problem sometimes with certain music. It's hard to really get around that, you know, having been played a lot. But, you know, I remember when I first heard it, it had this magic sparkly. I think a lot of it has to do with Andy's wonderful sort of sparkly multi-chorus guitar sound, you know, just kind of really unusual, you know, stylistically very unusual the way they the way they would arrange their parts. Uh, really magic. Yeah, and I also gave this an eight. Wayne, you 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 gave this an eight as well. So I think yes, so I did. I, so I think all of our scores are are pretty pretty consistent. And you, yeah, and you know what yeah. what what really helped this song for me was um, hearing Sting do the song by himself. So that's if you if you watch Bring On the Night, he comes out oh. just as guitar singing this song, and. That was right. that was the first moment that I I really I, I really viewed this song as holy crap this is not really a happy song like I you, you know if you listen to just the the police's yeah. version of it it's you know it's poppy it's it's you know that that touch of punk that they that they had on the first couple albums but but then you hear right. him play that song by you know without the drums and without Andy Summers and you, you go, that's a depressing song. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a cry for help. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you see the secret policeman's ball? Did you remember that movie? I I've, I've seen clips of it, but I have yeah. not. He did, he did it. Entire. He did it there as well. That was okay. a big part of that movie. He came out with a, just a Stratocaster and did it. Got it. Uh, very, very, yeah. Very moving actually. Yeah. yeah it puts it in a new light. It's a, it's a, not a happy song. No, no. All right, so uh, we've already talked a little bit about Regatta de Blanc. Here we go. Yeah. Here's a little clip of Regatta de Blanc.
All right, so we've already talked about that this is an instrumental, so go back to our conversation about needing to provide filler for the album. Um, you know, it's not yeah. a bad song. We we just talked about Alice in Chains, Jar of Flies. They have an instrumental, Well in the uh-huh. Wasp, on that album. We talked about Led Zeppelin's debut uh, a couple episodes ago as well. Black Mountainside yeah. is on that. Instrumentals. Instrumentals typically don't do very well on this podcast. No, they don't. Uh, no, I can understand that. I can understand. Like, but like I said, you know, I guess they got some. They got they got a Grammy nod for it, which is pretty impressive. I I didn't know that. I, the, to me, the interesting thing is about about this particular track, and he does it more on the rest of the record. Is Copeland again? This is a drummer's record. Copeland's use of the Roland Space Echo. Um, he started to use it, I guess, around this period, maybe a little earlier. They started to use it on stage. Uh, they had bought themselves all these, uh, you know, they started to buy gear. And uh, the Roland Space Echoes, he just would put a little delay, like a one bit, like a blip, blip, beep, blip, blip, up on the snare drum or on the hi-hats. And he did on the bass, like he would put the whole kit through it, actually. And it, is a, it, is a, it became a central sound throughout some of the biggest songs on this record, some of the best songs on this record. He uses it. He uses that, and it's very, very, uh, it's very, very rhythmically interesting because it makes him sound like two yeah. drummers. And are you aware that this is the only song on the album where Andy Summers has any writing credits? Because they because they wrote I mean, it together it's, as a jam. It's Stewart. It's, the rest is all I mean, Stewart and Sting. Yeah. Yeah, it's all all Stewart and Sting. So, yeah. um, you know who the alpha males in that uh, in that band are. Um, yeah. So let's let's go back to the instrumental Grammy. So I looked this up. Here are the yeah. other nominees. Ready? Oh yeah. Go ahead. What is that? Dixie Dregs. Dregs Ooh. of the Earth. Wow. So so that's not a single song. That's the whole album. They were nominated <laughs> for the whole album because it's all instrumental. Yeah. Well, um, who wants to put up with a whole album of that stuff? Give yeah, me a break. Okay. Exactly. Um, Emer- <laughs> Emerson Emerson Lake and Palmer's oh. Pete, Peter Gunn. Don't even get me started. I gotta say, that, I hate. That, I don't like Lambert Slag and Palmer, but I like that song. Really? Because yeah, that one's awful. Yeah, I see that. See, we're we're gonna have to agree. To, I, really, I have a. That's one of those things when people bring up Lambert Slag and Palmer, I just lose. I just go. The top of my head comes off. I just go nuts. Right. Like I have nothing good <laughs> to say about Lambert Slag and Palmer, especially as a drummer, Carl Palmer. Oh. My lord, this is a very, very, this is a very touchy subject for me. So let's not go there. But yeah, okay. So Peter Gunn, their version oh, of Peter no, Gunn. Now I, now I want it. Now I want to poke the bear on that one. Cause, oh no, cause, don't cause, do cause, it. Because because I saw Asia a yeah. few year a few years oh, ago, and oh, and and Carl did like a ten minute long. I'm so, drum oh, I'm solo. so I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you had to put up with that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Are you okay? How do you are you okay? I, I'm I'm okay. Like okay, the good. the the guy that was sitting next to me was oh um, was a drummer, so yeah. so I, I I took my friend who yeah. is a drummer because he's like I want to go see Carl, sure. and he he enjoyed it very sure. much so. Yeah, um, but I I I I I, 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 I sympathize. Okay, I don't I, I don't agree. This, but I, yeah, I've always thought. Basic bottom line is, I always thought that Carl Palmer was extremely overrated. He yeah. had a lot of speed, but he did not have a lot of. He was not groovy. My bottom line is, you cannot get laid to an Emerson Lake and Palmer record. Period. <laughs> period bottom line, you can't. It's not going to happen. Zeppelin record, you have good chances. Stones record, you're in there. Ever like a Palmer record, she's going to put on her shoes and walk out. This is uh, that's it. It's all the, the night's over. Hey, honey, let's listen to Tarkus. Bye. 
and and closed. And <laughs> see, and that's Carl Palmer's fault. Right, I blame Carl Palmer for this. <laughs> it's it's almost like you've had experience with this. Oh, I've had long. It's just ranting. I, I, I actually, what I did was a friend of mine was in a, in a sort of this long sort of back and forth about how much I hate Carl Palmer. Um, a friend of mine said, "I decided to listen through Tarkus. I decided to be magnanimous and like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put my guard down and I'm gonna listen to this record as if I was like 17 again and just dig it." And just listen to it from the bidding and all the way through. And I made it all the way through that record. And I never have to listen to that crap ever again. Oh, my God. I don't know how anyone to put up with that stuff. We went off on a tangent. But, okay, so so Peter it, Gunn. It, it's my so fault. Peter I Gunn, totally No, no, it's not your fault. Game. No, that's an interesting <laughs> factoid. Peter Gunn by Emerson and Palmer. All of the Dizzy Jags record. Unlistenable. Keep going. All right. Pretenders. Space Invader. <sighs> Ooh, so wow. track, track, track from the Pretenders. Oh, uh, I like that one. Album. I like that. I would have voted for that one if I was that, on the committee. That's the one I would have voted. That would have been my vote as well. Um, yeah. And uh, that's such a great album. That first oh, Pretenders album is <sighs> so that's so, so good. crazy. Also seventy nine, right? Yes. Oh. So I'm telling you. Every- and and wow. if we and if we were to score that first Pretenders album. I think Space Invader probably would be my least favorite album or favorite song on that album Track as on well. That yeah. 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 All I right. Mean. And the last nominee was oh. Jean-Luc Ponty, Beach Girl. Oh. Wow, I don't Yeah, I see jazz violin. I'm you know, I'm I'm already out the door. I right, and I was not familiar at all with Jean-Luc, so I looked him up and he's a jazz fusion guy. So yeah. I'm not even sure how that was nominated as a rock song, and yeah, so this yeah. is was, this is like they didn't have, obviously they didn't have a lot to choose from. Well, this is like Jethro Tull in the metal category, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, so, exactly. uh, so I think I know what everybody's score is on this, but uh, I think yeah. somebody's going to throw us a curveball on this. So, Ira, what's your score? Uh, my score on this was well, I have all the songs on this record. I had to give it a one. This was the my my one. Yeah, this is my one as well, Wayne. Yeah. I gave it a four. I, I, oh, interesting. it's, it's, I like it. I mean, it's not, it is hard to listen to instrumentals yeah. for very long, yeah. but yeah. I think the highlight of this is definitely Stuart Copeland. Um, the drumming on it is, is, is carries the whole thing. Um, I think Steen, Steen's moaning or howling, whatever he does could be taken out of it. But uh, I thought, I just loved what he did with, I mean, he doesn't, his kit's not fancy. He doesn't have a lot of, you know, weird, uh, you know, items like a Neil Pert would have, but uh, he, he speeds it up. Yeah. He speeds yeah. it up and slows it down and comes in right when he should, and and, and he overdoes it. Then he lays back. Um, I just thought he he carried the whole track uh, and, and was a highlight of it. And like I say, I didn't I didn't. Ter- there were a couple of other things on here that I I just scratched my head with, like my least favorite song. I'm still not sure. I wouldn't say that I don't like it. I just don't know what I think about it. But. Uh, I, 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 don't, I think I know which one that's going to be. But go, yeah. But also, it was funny. During the last couple of weeks, I was listening. I was at my friend's house, and he was watching a Rush documentary. And I didn't realize Neil Peart, ha, uh, Stuart Copeland, had a big effect on him. They were actually – it was showing an interview of, of the guys from Rush, and they were asking him what they were listening. This was probably in the early 80s when they were about to yeah. do, like, Signals or something. Right. And they said, you know, what do you guys listen to in the studio for inspiration? And Neil Peart was like the police. Um, and apparently, and they were talking to some of the other, some of the kind of the talking heads in the documentary. And he was, he had a a huge effect on Neil Peart and how Neil Peart started drumming 
a little bit different from from that point on. Oh, absolutely. So Stuart's influence on drummers was incalculable. Uh, every drummer, you know, they talked to the the Foo Fighters, uh, you know, Taylor Hawkins, huge Copeland fan. His uh, his the sort of precision, you know, this, the sound that he created, the very tight. Like he did this thing where he t- he tightened his drums really everything was super tight so it gave him a lot of dexterity around the kit he got uh, we'll get to one of the tracks later where he throws off some lightning fast fills it's, i think the last track on the record we'll get there but uh so his sound was unique his style was remarkable it's hard to sort of have a, a completely unique style it's something that happens very rarely um and so i can understand why guys like Peart were like wow this guy is really something he was very very influential with drummers yeah. all across the all board. Right. Let's move on to the third song. So this is all, it's all right for you. Okay, this this is where they talk about it being punk rock. This is this thing comes out of nowhere. In fact, if they weren't so talented as musicians, um, they lose. That's where they lose all their punk rock cred. Because uh, this is this song, uh, I I loved it. I love the story in it. I love the uh, the the lyric. You know, the lyrics are simpler than they are. Seem simpler than they really are. Can you, uh, what, what is the story, when you talk about the story of it, you know, I think I've listened to the song a, a thousand times probably as well as you have. I still don't know what the song <laughs> is about. What, what, uh, I could never figure out all the words. Is there a story there? Oh, and you know what? I looked up the lyrics. I didn't, you know, and I should have wrote better notes, but I just remember oh. looking up the lyrics and, and reading them and thinking, oh, you know what? This isn't, this isn't a throwaway song. I'd have to look them up again. I'm not going to lie, but I, I wrote the note down that it, that they were more, complex than they appeared and i love the effect that he uses on the guitar well during that solo right. i don't oh, yeah it's I, fantastic i, I couldn't fantastic. put a pick i couldn't put a finger on what it was but right. it was whatever it was an effect that i, I you don't hear a lot it, or is it just me or does the lyrical structure of this have a very it's the end of the world as we know it type of feel to it absolutely absolutely oh yeah yeah this sort of like stream of like spitting out a stream of uh, of uh of uh, words yeah it's very very rhythmic um is it was this a sting's co-composition i believe right correct yeah Yeah. you can kind of really hear the both of them and in in this and to that point i i feel like the drums and and the guitar is definitely or the 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 bass riff is definitely trying to compete on this i mean that's that's kind of how i felt when i was looking through the, the the credits i'm like oh that 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 makes sense now it's a real quick to yeah, go through helped. on the lyrics, just because I did look them up, and I now oh, I do, yeah. and now I do remember all my choices because they're real short lyrical bursts, but they're, yeah. they're it's about going through life. I mean, uh, shake it up, stand up, don't cry. Just goes all the way through to towards the end where your that's, dog starts barking. That's your dog. This time. <laughs> <sighs> all right, he's barking that's out right. the lyrics like Sting did. Uh, yeah, but by the end, it's talking about black suit. Um, just you can see that if you look at them, it's going through your life in just these really wow. quick two-word 
yeah you know bursts have have you guys seen the video for the song so the video is taken from the kenny everett show which i wasn't familiar with it's some variety show from great britain yeah it's a very 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 influential video right and i knew nothing about the show but i started looking at the musical guests that, that they had on legit yeah i mean like Oh yeah, no. Kenny Everett, the Kenny Everett video show was a very, very popular. Like it was like probably like the Don Kirsch okay. of England. Except it wasn't it wasn't live stuff. It was mostly videos. Yeah, Wings was on twice during the nineteen seventy nine season, and one episode by itself had both Wings and Bowie on the same episode. Yeah, okay. no, he was. Uh, I think he had been a radio okay. guy, and he goes back to the late sixties. You can hear Kenny Everett interviewing the Beatles in around sixty seven, sixty eight. Okay. Um, I think he makes some small appearances on some of the Christmas messages too, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Okay. Yeah, he was a very, very influential guy. And they, and I remember somewhere they showed, you know, late night in New York City, they definitely there was a small period where, like early in the morning, like Saturday morning, like one a.m., two a.m., they would show the Kenny Everett video show, which was some sort of weird combination of like Benny Hill. It had kind of a sort of a wacky. Okay vibe about it. it had kind of like a weird comedy vibe about it because he was kind of a goofball but it was also like a classic video program where just like video like video was the new thing like you know bands making yeah. promotional videos so what was the so what what did they do in this um video? they were just kind of doing the the live studio type of type of uh video uh, but, but yeah. i and this is what i wanted to ask about so Stuart copeland's sure. shorts that he wore behind the kit were like John Stockton, <laughs> John Stockton short shorts. They were like they were like gym oh, shorts from the oh, they 70s. were bad. They were really short. Yeah. So, I th- I think they were tennis shorts. He was a tennis player, wasn't he? Uh, I wouldn't surprise I me. He, he has he looks I think like he a was like player. a competitive. I think he was like a competitive tennis player when he was well, younger or something. He was definitely a polo player. I know we know this for a fact. He wasn't definitely into polo. Uh, yeah, but those are not polo shorts. Uh, you know where shorts playing polo. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, no I, I, they look like tennis shorts. They look like seventies style tennis shorts, but they look like they look like the kind of shorts that I had in like gym class in the in the seventies. They're just like not, they're no pockets or anything. It's just like very. Well, I like think not, I think on your next tour, Ira, you need to channel green and you yellow. You need to I, channel your inner Stuart Copeland and wear some really short I'll, shorts behind I'll, the kit. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do like a Rod Laver. I'm just gonna go in white. <laughs> I'm gonna go like with a headband. Or like, or like, what's the other guy? Like, uh, uh, um, who's the guy who always who always fought with the with the umpires? McEnroe. Oh, I'm gonna go with like yeah, a McEnroe thing. McEnroe thing. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's for that's uh, very punk rock. Absolutely. All right, let's get some scores. Um, I'm giving this a nine. Wayne, ten. Ira, it's all right for you. I gave it a I gave it a nice solid eight. Okay. Uh, that gives us an average score of of nine. Not not too shabby there. All right. No. All right. Not. Let's move on. Here is the uh, the fourth song on the album. This is "Bring On the Night." And this is a Sting composition, uh, the version that's yes. on the Bring on the Night movie. 
the documentary about Sting's first solo album where he assembled a great Five. jazz-infused backing band. Guess where they got the title right. from? This song. Bring on the night. Yep. Uh, oh, of course, yeah, from this yeah. song. Absolutely. I thought, now, I've read some things. He he wrote this about one thing, and then he thought it was going to be about, like, it was about Gary Gilmore. It was not about Gary Gilmore. He wrote it about one thing, and then he thought it's more about. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard he wrote it, or I heard he wrote it for his previous band, Last Exit, and it's about oh. some. It's about some literary character, but he read right. Executioner's Song by Norman Mailer and said right. that he sang it from that place that after that. Yeah, which right. that, clearly you can hear. Like, there's a defiance in this song that really brought me in. This is this is my favorite song on the album. Yeah. Um, there's the only one thing is because it's so reggae. I just yeah. wish Stuart would have gone full on reggae steel drums during the chorus. I think that's, I, I right. would like to hear that. Right. Right. I hear you. Is, is this song, is this is a song that uh, Stevie Nicks kind of stole flat out, right? Um, oh, this I, song didn't, is I, the didn't, one I haven't heard that. No, I don't know. Are you, are you kidding oh, me? Yeah. What's her, uh, you know, one wing dove. Oh, really? Is this the one that? I can, the same song. Oh, I can totally hear that now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Listen to the opening of One Winged Dove. It has a sort of little little pulse, and then the bass drum falls on the two or on the four okay. or something. Just like the One Winged Dove sings a song. Sounds like, this is exactly. She just lifted the whole intro of this song and wrote a new song around it, and it was that. That is whatever that, that song's called. Now I'm going to have to revisit that because I'm telling yeah. you, trust me on this one. Every time I, I hear that song, I think I think they're going to play "Bring on the Night," but they but it's always invariably, unfortunately, Stevie Nicks. <laughs> um, and, and well, that's kind of funny that we're talking about the whole, you know, plagiarizing or lifting or whatever you want to call it, because there's a line in this particular in this particular song that's lifted from T.S. Eliot. So when is the, that right? Yeah, when the evening spreads itself against the against the sky, yeah, that's um that's that's T. S. Eliot. That's from uh, oh. Love Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Oh wow! And oh, uh, I wish I were more literary. That's a good thing so, to know. So Stink said, "Well, what is it that Eliot himself said? He said, bad poets borrow and good poets steal.' That's right. That's right. So, so there you go. That's right. But that doesn't that doesn't make Stevie Nicks a good poet. No, that's depends true. on how well you steal. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wonder if Jimmy Jimmy Page uses that uh, that uh, philosophy as well to justify dazed and confused. Yes. Well, or... let's not start. Talking. We're going to start talking about Greta Van Fleet in one second about stealing <laughs> no, 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 and borrowing and no, no, no. And the, no. let's not go there. I already know what your your thoughts are on uh, on on Greta. I saw I saw yeah. your post last I, week about. I'm Greta trying to Van I'm Fleet trying to evolve. Work. I'm trying to evolve. I'm trying to evolve on Greta. Like I, am I like am I like yeah? I'm trying to sort of keep like my mind open on the on GVF. We'll call them GVF. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't like my initial reaction to them is very, very anti, but uh, I, I'm going to give them the idea, the fact that they're young and and and, and impetuous. Uh, you know, they could they could surprise all of us and they come up with something totally. They could take those influences and make something totally their own. Right now, I think they're too. It's too much. Yeah. Even the dog doesn't like Greta Van Fleet. Yeah. You're giving them way but, too uh, much credit. He hates. He hates. Don't bring up Greta Van Fleet. He says, but uh, you know. But anyway, back to the yeah. But yeah, I think she. I think she lifted it. She lifted it pretty pretty seriously. But Bring on the Night is a fantastic, beautiful, dark song. That sort of beautiful guitar line through it. It's really lovely. Yeah. It's a lovely song. It is a great song. 
Um, yeah. This song was only released as an album track in Britain. It was released as a single in America, um, oh. Germany, and France, and that was in November of 79. It was backed with Visions of the Night. Oh, uh, what's that? Now, what, I forgot I forgot about that. That was one of those only B-side-only kind of it, things. It was. It was. It was later. Uh, yep. Um, wow, I haven't so, heard that song in years. I had a, I had a, I had all the 45s. I had picture sleeves. My 45 collection was really unparalleled. I still have it somewhere. Visions of the Night. I forgot about that yeah. one. I don't even have it in my head. I don't even know how it goes. I, Can you hum a few bars? I, I don't no, even. I don't not. even know it. Um, yeah, I, that's a pretty. That's a pretty yeah, obscure one. Yeah. Um, and the single didn't manage to hit anywhere in the U.S. Um, or or the U.K. No. Uh, it's pretty down. Yeah. It's a down kind of song. Yeah. All right. So let's let's get the scoring from this. So Wayne, eleven. You already you already said that this was your really favorite. eleven. I'm Ira? gonna give. I gave it a seven. Okay. And I gave this a ten. This is my second favorite huh. song on the album. Yeah. Right on. All right, moving on. Last song. I mean, you're both wrong, but that's cool. All right, right, uh, last, last song on side A. This is Death Wish. get us started on death, death wish. wish death wish death well, wish the the tempo of the song it doesn't seem fast enough for a, a song about driving wildly down the highway could very any second crash into something um seems like he could have they should have speeded it up a little bit yeah. now I, I i made a note here I, I noticed that i think you know we said earlier that um the that uh that regatta was the only one that 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 summers had a credit on i think the death wish was all uh that uh Death Wish was also had a, a summer's credit on it. Am I wrong about that? I only saw Sting, Sting, and, and uh, I, I was Stewart I was going getting, through getting okay. credits on this. I, yeah. I, I wrote down that it was the three of them, uh, but this also seems to me like something they did as a jam, like something they would have sort of come yeah. up with, and then he probably stuck lyrics on it. I like the sort of as a drummer again. I like the sort of Bo Diddley, the sort of modified Bo Diddley aspect of this song. That, um, uh, uh, um, how does it go? Uh, it's sort of like yeah. it's a sort of a skipping that one two three it's really nice it's got yeah. a nice skip it's got it a nice is. beat to it that's the thing i really kind of drew me in yeah it's definitely definitely a jam um which is probably why you thought that it was it was the three of them because it's it it's, it captures all three of them and their yeah. instruments very well yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I dig this song, but the last minute of the song probably wasn't necessary. I didn't think it brought right. any anything special, extra special yeah. to the song. Yeah, I, um, I really think they were working on fumes right about here. Like they had kind yeah. of a song and they had to kind of stretch it out. And that that's like that's like a classic. You know, I think that was just some like treading water to me. Uh, yeah. You know, that was thing that they did in their sleep. Um, and uh, they just kind of padded it out. So this kind of sounds like the kind of thing that Stuart would have turned on his little Rolling Space Echo, got this kind of beat going, and they just kind of 
you know, built it from there. That's a guess on my part. Yeah. All right. Um, so I, I, let's go back to the conversation of them being rushed in production. Yeah. My, my guess is that extra, extra minute is again, more padding to the album because you know, they weren't up to this point. I think they were more, more versed in having these, you know, three minute long gems, you know, the, the radio edit friendly, um, type, type of song. So the fact that the next couple songs, this one included are a little bit longer, just kind of makes it, makes me feel as though they were maybe trying to, uh, to, 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 to pad the minutes on their album. Totally, totally reading yeah. too much into that. Uh, it's possible. Quite, quite, no, quite, quite possible. I, I mean, you know, there's only, there's a few songs on this record that are clearly composed fully front to yeah. back, like walking on the moon or beds too big without you. But the song like death, Wish seems to me, or bring on the night, uh, I'm sorry, death, Wish seems like, um, like, yeah, like they sort of had a small thing and they had to kind of make it into something. They had to kind of just kind of spread it out, you know, like keep it going just to keep the momentum up. Yeah. I think it's sort of a filler. I think, uh, the broadest um wayne what's your score on this i gave it a six i mean i i like it but i i just why well, i do definitely agree with the filler part it could have been gone and replaced with something similar and you probably would have never known yeah ira yeah. what's your score? i gave it a six i gave it a six as well okay right in the middle all right we're we're straight yeah. sixes so i'm i'm also giving this a six so um all right so here is uh, side b this is walking on the moon This was uh, another single off of, off of the album. This was the follow-up single to Message in a Bottle. This would become their second number one hit single in the UK. Um, and the music video shot at the Kennedy Space Center here in Florida. Oh, Did yeah. Were that? I, I, you know, I, I watched the video the other day, but I didn't really think about where they shot that thing. Yeah, that perhaps makes, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, Stewart sort of playing drumsticks on the side of a rocket engine. Right. The so let's talk. Let's talk drums because the the drums are sure. a big big part of this song. This is this is central. And again, it's back to that Roland space echo. He learned how to. Um, what he would do is he would put a single delay, on like the kick, the snare, so it went buckum, buckum, or whatever. He would use either a dotted eighth delay or a quarter note delay to kind of double up, so it didn't. Like a lot of reggae, if you listen to a lot of dub reggae, that's a classic device where you would just put the snare drum through a thing where it goes, Mm -hmm. sort of fades off. There'd be two or three or four, each one getting progressively quieter. Here to make it very percussive, and he didn't want to to make a big jumble, I think he only used one delay. So there'd be like, so everything kind of got doubled up. And this is a great example of him using this really, really musically. uh, Walking on the Moon is just, a, again, a, to me, like a quintessential classic 
police, like almost a parody of the police's own style. It's this big epic space, you know, like you can really hear. I think he wrote it walking around his hotel room, right? Just like walking around the room. I think that's how he wrote it. Um, uh, and uh, I heard he was hammered. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, hey, listen, Sting, he can do whatever the hell he wants. Oh, no. uh, he, he probably was. He probably was. But I, I remember reading somewhere years ago that he was literally just walking around the room, writing it, and uh, you know, huh, hmm, hmm, walking around the room. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but uh, I, I love the space in the song. The sort of the, the just the guitar falling every like one bar. Da ba da shrang. I just put a big, a beautiful, uh, you know, multi echo guitar. This is classic, classic stuff. I, this is why you love the police, like a song like this, really. And uh, Copeland's really on his game. On yeah. This one. Uh, Wayne, I know that you gave this the your uh, the lowest score out of the three of us. So before I get into the scores, t- tell me why that this only got a five for you as opposed to. And it's going to sound so goofy, but I just never connected to this song because I love the way they they captured like they captured lack of gravity with their instruments i i that's amazing but yeah the lyrics no, i i read that he i mm-hmm. i did i read the story where he came he was drunk in his hotel room and he started jumping around singing walking around the room but and he and that's where the song grew out of and he but he also described it as you're leaving that girl's house you know you that you're that teenage crush you're leaving her house and you're walking home and you're on on air which he doesn't seem to have captured that in in the lyrics but yeah, the instruments capture this, like you can feel like a lack of gravity when you hear them playing it. But I just never connected to the songs. Like it's one of those songs when I'm putting police songs into a playlist to listen, I always consider leaving it out. I don't typically do it, but I always consider yeah. leaving it out. I just never connected yeah. to the song. But right. I, I and on that it. note, this yeah. is always yeah. in my police set lists. So this is, this is my favorite song on the album. So the, I'm giving this an 11. Ira, yeah. what's your score? Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I, I, I tend to this one. Yep. So I really love this rock. Yeah, especially yeah. when they get to that drum breakdown, like at, just before the ending, that. And I kind of, I kind of feel like a hypocrite because I, I gave, I gave him crap about the last song being a minute too long. Yeah. And on this one, it works for me. Like they can continue to do their, you know, their, their, their little symbols and, you know, the, and even, even Sting in his yo, 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 yo thing, which he does, he does to annoys me on regarded a block does not annoy me on this song. Like, cause it's kind of in the fade and they kind of put it, they kind of pushed it back a little bit. So it's kind of a little, it's not, it's not up in your face. I, I, the way this song kind of walks out, yo, yo, I just love the whole feeling of it. The whole groove of it is really unusual and something only these guys could do. Yeah. Agreed. I had to. I had to listen to Death Wish a few times, going, "Okay, am I missing something?" Because I I love the next song so much, and they're they, they're droning on a little bit at the end, but it works for me. So yeah, it's yeah. it's really lovely, and yeah. it's hard to. And you know, you have a cho- when you record a song, you have basically two choices: you can either end it cold, or you can fade it out. Not a surf, for example, is a band that almost never. I, I was going to say fades. You guys a song are always cold. I think you can find right. maybe one. You can find maybe one not a surf song that that kind of that fades at the end. We're a kind of band like we like to write a song and then there's an right. ending on it, the, but um, and the ending. Um, 
like a final chord and it stops and the next song starts. This the police again, when you write jams like this, you you know, it's best not to write an ending. I mean, you'll have to do some like live ending. But a song like this sounds good just kind of it's just kind of walking away and off into the distance. It's it's just right for that kind of long slow fade. Yep. All right. So the next song to to quote Stuart, you want something corny? Well, you got it. Here's got, on any other it. day. So if you think that Sting has a cold, um, nope, that's Stuart Copeland manning the lead vocals. Um, so uh, it, it does not a surf have any albums where uh, one Ira Elliott is the uh, lead vocalist? Uh, luckily, no. Uh, well, I did. Uh, I did actually record a song of my own on one of the on what record was it? I don't know, four or five records ago. I was trying my hand. I'm always trying to write a song, but uh, in the long run, it, uh, like the st- whatever I write um, doesn't sound. It sounds maybe okay when I sing it, but it's hard to put words when you're a, a lyricist like Sting, for example. You always sound weird. He sounds weird singing uh, Copeland's lyrics. Yes. There don't. He always, it sounds like he's wearing someone else's clothes or something. It doesn't sound quite right. Um, and, 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 and Stuart was, you know, in his way, an interesting songwriter. And clearly you hear his influence, like his influence on the police and their sort of whole style is, is really, uh, you know, is, is huge. Um, and especially when you listen to, like I said, this Clark Kent record and even his solo stuff, you hear his sort of the way he would sort of do these tight little, you know, like that's a very Stuart Copeland move. These very tight little guitar moves, very, very percussive. He played the guitar in a very percussive yeah. way. He thought in a percussive yeah. way. Um, and uh, uh, and any other day is a classic, you know, goofy, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's just the one. Oh, I think he what he had written this. The opening segment is him on the piano. Is that right? He's sort of playing the, the piano. Um, oh no, that's the other one. That's yeah. that's just everyone. That's that's, yeah, that's, that's a different. That's, we'll, we'll get to that, to that one. That. But yeah, any other day is a class. You know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know. Again, this is a great example. We need stuff on the record, Stuart. What do you got? And uh, on any other day. So this is one of those songs. Like, uh, uh, you know, again, I identify with Stuart. I, I like Stuart. Some of his his attitude, but uh, this song is you know kind of a throwaway. And yeah, the fact that he sort of undercuts it right at the beginning, like he wants something corny. You know, I don't know what it was uh-huh. he said. The others yeah. are complete yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Isn't that the first thing he says? <laughs> yeah. Like, so that that's not helping him either. Like, you know, like his sort of bluster. That's Copeland's gift and his curse is that he's full of bluster. <laughs> he's a big mouth. Which should, is probably the reason why they only made five albums. Yeah. Well, you know, I can. they were not, you know, I think that they had probably, if they, you know, they were famously did not get on very well as, as people. Um, and I think it's this kind of uh, yeah. uh, this blatant kind of egotism uh, that you can see in this song uh, that that fueled it. I know, poor Andy. Poor Andy. Yeah, he and, probably and... tried to be. I would imagine he. I assume he tried to be a kind of a go between. I don't know, but uh, it, that couldn't have been a good position no, for him to be. No, absolutely not. I mean, you've seen those pictures of Stewart's drums, yeah. right? Where he has he has it written on his drums, like "F off, you c word." 
I'm trying to be polite, but you know, he had written on his drum. So he like, he was thinking about staying when he wrote that on there. He wasn't, you know, you know like I want to, Oh, if I could be playing the back of this guy's head, it would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's get some scores. Uh, Ira, what's your score? Um, for, uh, um, uh, any other day, uh, I gave this, uh, a four. Yep. And I'm, I'm also at a four Wayne. I give it a two. I mean, the thing is, is it's tongue in cheek. Sting couldn't do this song number one because he's too serious. He can't be, he can't be tongue in cheek. And uh, I, it's also the lyrics. You you couldn't even write a song like no, this my, today. No, my my fine young song. No, you can't. Yeah, you, you can't even imply that whether you whether you still love him or not. It yeah. doesn't. It, you can't even say that anymore. So exactly. Um, I just. I don't know. This is a song that I don't know. I can't, I wouldn't say I don't like it. I just don't know how I feel about it. Cause number one, it's hard to, it's hard to accept a police song that isn't sung by sting. It doesn't, something doesn't seem right about it, but I can say I enjoy, uh, there's a part of me that likes the fact that he, he's just goofing off. He's just, yeah. I'll write a song. Watch yeah, sure. I'll write a song right yeah. now. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that that one line is really kind of uh, that really does kind of unnerve me now and in a way that it didn't really at the time. But now when I hear it, I'm like, ah, that no, we didn't need to have that. in there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this was this was late 70s. What? Yeah. And I sure I'm sure he meant nothing oh, by no, it no, at no, the no. time. Absolutely but, uh, I don't mean any other way. Oh, yeah. At the time, you know, it was just kind of funny, like his like, you know, everything's yeah. going wrong today. Like, you know, yeah, so. the dog and the, yeah. The, right. yeah. The daughter and the son it's all it's all crap no I, but like i say i sting could never do this song so therefore the song doesn't sound like a police song but at the same time i wouldn't say that i don't like it i listen to it every time uh as i listen through this album i, I, I listen yeah, to it all the way right. through but they never played it live i'll i'm pretty we're pretty sure of that oh okay and uh, there was no live there's no oh i yeah i would no, imagine never, not no, they never played this song live. interesting all right all right, moving on. The next song is The Bed's Too Big Without You. I'm going to start because this is my favorite song on the record. There's something, okay. there's some, again, this is a drummer's record to me. And this song is like all this big Stuart Copeland. It's so funky. The beat is so engaging. It's just such a beautiful role from the very beginning to the very end. And the big spacious breakdown in the middle was just like this huge bomb of a bass drum falling. I am totally, this, this track is pure magic to me. I love it. It's one of the things I love most. Uh, it just uh i can never get enough of it i love it okay um so i i wanted to talk about the lyrics of it okay. because i i had heard i had seen that the lyrics were inspired by apparently sting's first girlfriend committed suicide after they broke up really is that 
Is that just internet lore, oh, or, is that, I, or, or I, is there something to that? I, you know, I, 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 that's the first I've heard about it. So I, uh, okay, I, well. I've never heard that. And and being a big police fan, I thought I would hear like a lot of dirt. And so I, but that's one I'd never heard. Where did you hear that? Where did you hear uh, that? <laughs> the, the internet. Gosh darn internet! What is going and, on over there? And the in, the internet never lies. No, to us, why so, would they do that? So, yeah, right. Exactly. Um, no, that's interesting. That's one I'd never, I'd never read that, and that I, I don't have any recollection. Like I said, I was, in, I was, a, I subscribed to the fan club magazine, Police File. Do you know? The, I'm sure that that's not something that they would actually put in the newsletter. Oh, by yeah. the way, oh, by hey, the way. let's talk about yeah. bets too big without you. It's yeah. about about suicide. Um, yeah, no, again, uh, yeah, I've never, uh, I, I've never heard that story, but. Uh, that would be tragic if that were the case. That would be horrible. Now, now, have you guys listened to the Rankin Rogers reggae version of this? I have not. Uh, I think Sting also took notice of that version because I did go on YouTube. I found a clip with both Sting and Roger singing this together. Is that and right? It's, yeah, it's great. Oh. Um, definitely shades of the beat or general public. I love the beat. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so, um, anyways, I wanted to just throw that out because uh, I did read an article this week about uh, how Roger, I guess, is having having some major health issues oh, right now. So, oh, sorry to hear so, that. Uh, so, I met uh, I met the singer recently, about a year or two ago. I met uh, Dave Wakeling, lovely guy, so sweet, very disarmingly personable, very lovely. Yeah, best too big without you is just absolutely one of my favorites. All right, so Iris giving this an eleven, Wayne. I feel like I've been put on the spot, but no, uh, no, no, it's okay. I, I gave it a three. I don't. I, I just. Oh, you were totally put on the spot. That's why I gave. <laughs> yeah. I, I, let you, I, let... I know. I know. I had to listen to him go through the whole thing, and I'm yeah. like, "Gosh, I should have gone first. No. Why couldn't I go first? Oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, I should. I, maybe I was. I jumped the no, gun because I, I love the song so much. No, 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 no. It's he loves those these kind of things. Yeah. Supposed I to make totally, me feel uncomfortable. I no, totally I just. Love it. I. I, it's just not a, there's these flourishes in it and yeah. the, in the, with the basses and the drum. And I, I just think there, was, there should have been more of those. Mm-hmm. I just, like I say, I found this, it just seemed boring. And the maracas came out at the end. I don't even, I don't know that that works. Oh, where the maracas right. came yeah. from. Well, there was, again, there was a breakdown. I'm going to defend it because there's this breakdown where suddenly everything drops <laughs> out. You know, the guitar drops out and it's really bass and drums. So they put something to kind of chatter over the top to kind of wake it up. Otherwise, it would have been. I think it would have gotten very dark. I'm always amazed by like listening to Sting perform this song. Like he, you know, the the the, the verse bass line is very simple. Da 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 ba boom 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 boom. It's a very classic, great, simple, uh, minimalist reggae bass line. But then he does this little turnaround. Ba da da ba da ba da. Which is a sort of totally contrapuntal against the against the lyric. How he was able to physically do that to me to this day is still like how he's able to sing the bridge and play that bass line against it to me. That's the is the uh, the magic of that's why Sting is so talented to play these very very sparse things where they don't link up and on any level they're completely rhythmically different. Um, and that to me is like an amazing little thing in this song. I gave this a seven, so not not super high, but um, you know, it's definitely one that that I enjoy listening to. Like I said, go go find go find the uh, the ranking Roger and Sting version of it. I, I think you guys will will enjoy that. If you're if you have those reggae 
you know, likes. I yeah. think. Uh, I think someone you know, else. It, there was another it, artist who had a big reggae hit version of this, if I'm not mistaken. So there was a, a, a female artist, if I'm not mistaken, who had a had a pretty sizable uh, hit with this song. Just don't say it was Shaggy, please. No, it was not Shaggy. It was. Okay, it was. Okay. It, it would have been around this. You know, only years after it would have probably been somewhere in the in the gotcha. in the eighties. Okay. Well, sounds like we've got some research to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all right. All right. Let's move on. Uh, this is the ninth song on the album. This is another Stuart Copeland penned uh, pen song. This is Contact. I've got a lump in my throat about the notes. I come on over, but I haven't got a All right, Wayne, you want to get us started on this one? Yeah, um, this is the first one I heard synthesizers in that I at least recalled. Hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And this one this one has the, the flourishes uh, that I think the previous, that I felt like the previous uh, song could use more of. And the bass work is, as usual, like say Sting, I think is an underappreciated bass player. I, I think he gets oh, plenty of credit for being a songwriter and a singer and a rock star. And I don't think he, I, I think people don't realize how good he is at uh, as oh, yeah. a bass player. Oh, no, he's astonishingly great. Yeah. Yeah. Very simple, very minimal and great. So the, so the lyric I'd come on over, but I haven't got a raincoat. Is he talking about prophylactics there? Oh, wow. You know what? Why didn't I ever rock that? That's totally exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. All right. well, maybe, so, or maybe it was raining. I don't know. I was, I was just wondering if I was just channeling my inner Beavis um, <laughs> on, on when I, when I was looking at the lyrics on that. So I'm well, just I never, I, yeah, I know, you know, I never put that, that obvious two and two together. That is clearly what, it, right. yeah, there's no doubt. That's what, that's exactly what he meant. This is, this is just a middle of the road song for me. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily skip over this, but it's yeah. not one that I, yeah. I, particularly like now if it was a little bit longer than two minutes and 39 seconds maybe i would skip through it towards the end but it's such a short song that it's like all right let's let's the the only the only the only defense of this and it's not one of my favorites either um but i will say it's a if you just kind of imagine yourself the drummer while you're listening to the song it's a it's a drummer song up and down it's just like it's pure it's pure copeland he just like he he's 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 uh you know, rip, ripping off all these little flourishes and really lightning little fills. It's really on his game. He's really playing beautifully. It's not it, not much of a song, I think, but his playing is really fantastically aggressive and fluid. It's just really great drumming from Stewart. Excellent. All right. Um, so I'm giving this a three, Ira. I gave it a, I gave contact a two. And then Wayne? I gave it a seven. So we are definitely listening to a, a different album than yeah, Wayne. Interesting. Is, I no, I think it's really, I think it's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so why are you giving this a seven as opposed to, you know, some of the other songs that uh, I'm not completely asking you to defend yourself. I'm just, I'm trying to understand where maybe we're listening a little differently than you are. Well, yeah. I, and I can say I, I have a, I have an affinity for punk rock. 
mm-hmm. and some of these songs. And I, you know what, the synthesizer too. I think it got it, it got at some points mm-hmm. uh, when I was like, hmm, yeah. where'd that come from? Yeah. Um, but uh, I've also had a cold this week. Maybe I was delirious. Blame <laughs> uh, it on the drugs. Go some, ahead. Some <laughs> but uh, I. Yeah, this was just one of the songs that, as I as I listened to it, I I I enjoy, what, enjoyed it. Yeah. Wasn't there cold medicine back in like the '80s called Contact? Did, oh I, yeah, am, the am little, those little capsules. Yeah, the little Contact. capsules. Yeah, I think you're right. Have we so, got Have we got any? Have we got Contact? Uh, you and <laughs> you and me. <laughs> See what I did there? I did. I set, I I set you right up. I, 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 right I, up. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, the 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 next song on the album so uh the only the only song that i know of that has heebie-jeebies in the lyrics this is <laughs> does everyone stare So this is another Copeland only pen song. Who wants right. to uh, who wants to get us started on this one? Uh, I, I um uh this is a this is a tough one. I didn't rank this very high, but um I have to say that at the time in whatever this was 79, I was like 79, I was 17 years old, right? Uh, 16, 17. So there was something about Copeland's character that, like I said, I identified with him on a physical level. He was a great drummer. I identified him with him on that level. And there's something about this sort of forlorn quality about these opening, the opening him sitting on his piano. I guess he had written this. This was a home demo he made. I think it was in college or something. Uh, and so he's sitting there and like, and this lyric about this guy like uh, who really likes a girl, but she does like, she sees right through him. Like he's not even there. I totally identified with this character you know uh, uh you know uh, a lot of the police's music you know w- was like this even sting wrote a couple of songs about how you know like he gets you know cold feet reaching the fo- for the phone i think he did that on on the first record there's a song about that where you know like yeah. uh, i want to want to call you know like or later like uh all his love songs have this like you know i'm trying to reach out to you i'm afraid to do it i resolve uh, to call you up a thousand times a day exactly yeah this is the, this is in two or three different songs but here's copeland this sort of you know like uh, uh i'm i'm panicking and i want to do it but then I, I freak out and i don't do it i totally identified with that uh that aspect of it yeah and i think i think i so I only gave this a, um, uh, I gave this a two and part yeah. of it for me is it just feels like kind of an incomplete song towards the end. And I know that the police were masters of repeating the same lines over and over again. I mean, this song definitely mirrors that technique. I mean, go back to message in a bottle. How many times does he say the, the, right. the last, the last refrain sending, of that? Sending it out an SS. Yeah. Sending out an SS. Yeah. Um, so blue. So, so if they would have used more time to maybe polish up this album, 
would this been one that maybe they could have used a little more production? Maybe we're giving them a pass because they were still kind of considered punkish at this point. Yeah. I know, you know, it's this chorus is strong, you know, does everyone stand the way I do? That's a really nice chorus. It's a very solid musical chorus. But again, it's a Copeland composition and it doesn't sting doesn't really somehow sound right singing Copeland songs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it could have used a little bit more, you know, if they'd worked on it a little bit more. But I, I probably or I'm maybe. guessing that Sting probably didn't want to give his time to a Copeland composition in the way that John and Paul didn't want to give their time to Harrison composition. I was just gonna say, do you think Sting phoned it in a little bit, considering yeah, it's, it's like these aren't my lyrics? I'll sing them. Yeah. We need we need we need the song on the album, so I'll sing them. But. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's the, that's my that's my feeling. I don't know that that's true, okay. but I, I think that's that that argument can be made. Yeah. All right. So you said uh, you're you're giving this kind of a low score. What what score are you giving this? Oh, I I gave I just gave it a two. This is my two. Okay. Um, oh no! Wait! 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 No, no. I, gave, I gave that a two. No, does everyone stare? I, no, I gave a little higher. Three. There you Sorry, go. Three. Three. All right. So uh, I give this a two. Wayne. I I gave it a one. I mean the piano and. Stewart at the beginning puts me off and then you're right sting isn't committed to it and it just so this was my least favorite song yeah all right, yeah. All right the solo mio coming in there yeah <laughs> all right let's wrap this up we've got uh no time this time this is the last song on the album I wanted to go back to the conversation about the band being rushed to get this album completed. So I started looking at the lyrics from the autobiographical in nature, you know, talks about no time for the complexities of conversation, no time for smiles, no time for knowing, et cetera, et cetera. And then I did some research and it, this was actually originally the B side to so lonely from their first album. So, right. So, so then I just kind of threw that whole autobiographical, uh, um information completely out the door so what 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 do we what do we make of this this song yeah this is a tough one i i you know again i i only saw this record really at the time and even now i can't it's hard for me to see it in anything other than the light of Stuart copeland and his drumming this is song is just dominated completely front to back by Stewart's playing and and everything else to me was always secondary. Like this lyrics were always or to me were an afterthought on half this record. That's why uh, you know the record like if the record has a downside. It's like, lyrically it's really not very strong. There's a couple of good compositions, but no time to me the the lyrics didn't mean anything. It was all about Copeland's uh, fantastic playing, especially right uh, at the outro. Uh, this sort of the triple breakdown, the triple fake ending at the end where he does one great fill after another, after another. And then the last one is just this like, like impossibly machine gunned snare fill. And then down across the toms, like it's just mind blowing that the last thing you hear as the record goes out. So that was the only thing about this song that I can really defend is, is Copeland's drumming. Lyrically speaking, I I don't know that there's anything going on of value. Yeah. And also looking at the, the lyrics, I thought, Maybe this is Donald Trump's theme song right now. 
I mean, look, 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 look at the lyrics. It says, if I could, I'd slow the whole world down. I'd bring it to its knees. I'd stop yeah. it spinning around. But as it is, I'm climbing up an endless wall. Yeah. So right. I just, just changed yeah. the lyrics to something more wall appropriate, I guess. Yeah. Um, so and, is there another wall? Is there another wall reference on this record? This songs with walls in them keep coming up in my head. Yeah. There's a lot of wall songs. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't uh, know. I, I listen. Uh, I, I will, uh, listen. I keep. I keep thinking that Donald Trump's probably listening to like, uh, like Petty. Like, uh, I, won't I won't back. back I won't back down. Unfortunately, like he's taking songs. Where, you know, that's my. Like, is he listening to a lot of like I won't back down? Like, I, I have a feeling he's probably doing that in his spare time. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other podcast. Episode. Yeah, let's not have. That's another podcast. <laughs> I will say that I enjoyed this song a lot more with this revisit. This used to be one that I would skip over i had it on cassette so i would hit the fast forward button just so that i could flip the tape over and listen to message in the bottle again but yeah they, you know that weird vocal effect on there he does this kind of like kind of garbled up the vocal with the, some weird kind of uh flangey kind of thing which is not very attractive yeah. to me i think they were just covering yeah. the fact that yeah. it was really nothing worth saying they were just trying to make a like a musical thing like a musical sounding thing uh Again, I, I think the only way to listen to this song is just from the aspect of, of the drum. Yeah. Anyone else get a Shadows in the Rain vibe on this song? Oh, interesting. Well, Shadows in the Rain was completely like a like much different, like rhythm, much slower and spacier. I don't know. Right? I kind of... Yeah, maybe. Bum. Maybe I... That's very, very I, different. I, I, I don't know. I just got that vibe vibe to it but well again maybe it's a sort of vocal effect it was kind of this watery effect on sting's voice i think they may have used that on on shadows in the rain as well so so wayne i already know what your score is so i'm i'm going to assume that you you give this a little bit higher score because of your earlier comment about liking the the punkish yeah i think this has a raw energy and uh with both uh lyrically with that that kind of fast-paced punk rock sound yeah. and like i say the drumming he's 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 going at it. it it just has a raw energy to me that i that i like and the climbing up the wall reference i i'm pretty sure is is about you know middle class life you just just join the ride and just endlessly climb up that wall forever which is a right. definitely a punk rock you know staple yeah. totally totally yeah i never saw it that way that's very interesting all right so wayne your score I give it a nine. Ira, I only I gave this one a five. Yeah, I'm at, I'm matching you on the fives as well. All right, so let's let's uh, let's go look at our uh, our top five songs. So, um, any any guesses on what uh, what our top song was? I don't, I don't know. We were so we were so all over the map between the three of us. It's hard to really tell. I don't know. My guess is uh, probably I don't know. It's it's all right for you. Um, it's all right for you is our, our second song. So first, first song because of, uh, Wayne's top score for bring on the night. Yeah. He gave it an 11. I gave it a 10. So that kind of slanted us towards up, right. It, it edged it up. Um, so that was a 9.3 average score for bring on the night. It's all right for you. Got an average score of nine followed Mm. by walking on the moon with an 8.6 message in a bottle with an 8.3 and then rounding out our top five was ira's top song um that's the the bed's too big without you yeah Yeah. that that got an average score of uh seven 
So right you can on. thank Wayne for that because he torpedoed. He torpedoed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's totally fine. Uh, you know, uh, I, I know we don't have to agree. That's the beauty of it. We don't. We don't need uh, to agree. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, that's the fun of you know of music. Listening to yeah. this, we all three listen to the yeah. same record. Heard, we all hear it through different, we all, two different filters. It's really got, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so uh, so Wayne, what are we revisiting for next week's episode? Oh, uh, we have been talking about lots of things. Uh, I am not. I'm not are, certain. Are you, are you forgetting? Okay, so so the, so the episode the episode after this, we're actually going to revisit the. Fantastic soundtrack, Pretty in Pink, from 1986. Oh, okay. Now, okay. do you remember? Okay. okay. I yeah. now Ira, not a yes. surf, has a little bit of a connection to that particular soundtrack. Oh, we uh, we covered uh, that song, right? We covered uh, what? If you leave, is that on that if soundtrack? That that is off. That is off that soundtrack. So. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah, that was an interesting. Yeah, we were asked to do. I can't remember who 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 asked us. There was somebody. Maybe the, the the I guess the folks who do our like licensing kind of stuff they they needed it for I can't oh it was for like some TV show we did it it was like uh, One Tree Hill or one of those kind of teen romantic drama TV series right and they came to us and they said would you do this song and we 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 listened to it and uh, we didn't want to do it and uh, um, uh, if you listen to the original song it has like eighty seven key it, it changes keys like every eight bars. Yeah. Like the intro's in one key, and then it sh- as soon as he starts singing, it's in a new key, and then it shifts key. It gets kind of nauseating. We're kind of guys like, hey, we hate key. We don't like. There's no key changes. We don't like, you know, jump up a key at the end. You know, classic, you know, songwriter move. We never do stuff like that. So we were the first thing we had to do was rearrange the entire song into one long key, uh, which helped it. Uh, I think it helped it a lot. And that song was it did really well, and and it brought a lot of uh, new fans to the Nasrup table. We have never ever played that song live, uh, but a lot of people really liked it, and I think our version is quite lovely. It's a love. It's a it's a lovely song. And and you guys have never played it live. We've never no. It's now we never really felt that it was some kind of thing we wanted to do live. We people ask all the time. Yeah, but uh, we never really felt uh, compelled. Do you guys don't do a lot of covers? I mean, you threw in when I saw you last year. You guys threw in "Level Terrors Apart" briefly yeah. into right. uh, that was one thing we did for years. And and you know there was a lo- there was a period you know we did covers for a while. We would did uh, I remember there was a period we would open the show with. Um, an Elvis Costello song. Um, we opened the show with uh, um, no, no, you remember no actions. I think it's like the oh, first yeah. song on like yeah. this model. Yes. Uh, yeah, we we, we covered that for a while. Um, early on, this was like probably in the first year or two that we were together. We covered that. Um, we've covered. Uh, let's see, what else did we do? Very rarely. Have you guys ever played Where Is My Mind Live? Uh, that's another one we chose for whatever reason never to. Oh, I think we. We thought about doing it because we knew that a lot of people liked it. Yeah. But that was another song we were hesitant to do at all because we were such huge Pixies fans. Like, how do you beat that song? Like, we can't. I know, but your, no way. your guys' cover of that is legit. It's, it's so. lovely. It's really interesting. And uh, a lot of it had to do with the circumstance in which it was made and, and, the, and the equipment that we played it on. And, and uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's like a little the, – well, one of the great aspects of our version is that it has this little drum sample that runs through it, this little sort of drum machine – 
you know, yeah. this little kind of cool thing, which again, if we did it live, like without that, it wouldn't sound like much of anything. And like us trying to play against a loop or a sample, that was also not our style. Right. So uh, we chose to avoid that as well. Um, listen, we covered, uh, we did a cover of, uh, all you need is love for like chase bank. Uh, we never, we never played that live neither. Okay. Um, um, uh, yeah, what we did play some, we had, let's see for a while. We did play another new order song we had in the set for a very short time. We played blue, uh, blue Monday, um, blue Monday. Gong, gong. Oh yeah. Oh, was that gong, 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 yeah. gong, yeah. gong. Yeah, we played that for a little while, nice. but then I think around the same period, some really big goth emo band had a huge oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. hit um, with it. Orgy, orgy, yeah. Orgy. And we're like, uh, well, I just torpedoed that idea. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and uh, let's see, there was uh, over the years, there's only been a small handful of covers. Oh, we did. Uh, I think there was a Susie and the Banshees cover we did for a while. We did. Uh, okay. Oh, what was that one? Uh, oh, that was a good one too. It was like, uh, oh, I can't remember now, but there was definitely a Susie and the Banshees cover we did for, for a little while. Yeah, we're not, we don't really. That's not really our thing. The beauty of you guys being around for, you know, twenty years, like you have. Oh, we did. Oh, we oh, no, we did. Uh, I know. There's a uh, we did. Uh, there's a light that will never go uh, that doesn't that will never go out or whatever. Oh, from, uh, by, 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 dude, nice. yeah, that was a that okay. Was a good one. You guys need to resurrect that one. That's a good one, right? That is awesome. Yeah, for, the problem with covers is they they invariably show like how bad your own songs are. Like, oh, that song is so good. Why can't they write one that good? You know, that's <laughs> sometimes that's the problem with a cover is that it just shows you know like it shows your own weaknesses right, sometimes. Right. Uh, but that is that's a really good one. There's a, yeah, we did that one very happily for a long time. Excellent. That was a good one. Well, it has been a pleasure revisiting with both of you, Ira. Tell tell us how people can find the happenings of Not a Surf when a new album's coming out, etc. Well, I, uh, you know, there's a notasurf.com out there. Uh, I haven't looked at it myself in a while. I, I, I'm removed. But, yeah, there's, you know, notasurf.com will have uh, any anything that's happening. We'll, we'll put up tour dates or things like that. I don't think anything's going to really happen tour-wise. There might be a – I know we're playing the beacon. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll plug this. We're, we're, we're opening for a band um, called uh, uh, Guster. Guster, who yeah. we Guster who we toured with some years ago. We, we were opening, we opened for them for, for a few weeks, which was a great experience. They're fantastic guys and a great band. And, uh, they're, they're playing the beacon theater in New York in, in the middle of March around March 15th, I believe it is. Uh, and they were been very kind to ask us to be their opening act, which we uh, jumped at the chance to do because the beacon theater is one of the great, great New York venues. And we are all so excited to, uh, to play that show and then it's going to go quiet for a while I don't think there's much going on but like I said we're going to do some recording in April and then uh, see, and then you know there'll probably be some you know a little working on the record here and there but I think probably by the fall we'll look at actually some, some actual tour dates so this is my last question and I'm, sure. and I'm lifting this question a little from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando who does the uh, Scotch and Good Conversation podcast so okay. he always asks his guests who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, I know, I don't know. Doug Gillard's a pretty good friend of mine. He's, he, he knows a lot about music. Would love to have Doug on. That would be awesome. Sure, I bet he would do it. Okay. He would love, he would love to do this. He's such a, really, you'll never get him to sh- like as bad as I am. You'll never get him to shut up. He is just, a, <laughs> he can rattle on that. Boy. Right. You'll have a great podcast with him. I'll ask him. 
All right. Well, we'll you you and I will chat offline on that. So, oh, okay. and and make sure you tell Matthew that we're reserved. Yes. We're reserving the episode. Or maybe or maybe Matthew we're, will want to do. We're going to reserve. We're going to reserve the episode about Dylan's blonde on blonde, especially for him. For him. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I'll ask. I'll ask him too. He, you know, he's a pretty good friend of mine. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have him on the show to talk about that record. Oh no, he would. Lo- I'm sure he'd love yeah. to do it. Great. Thanks, guys. So, yeah, this has been fun. So let's uh, let's do the closing. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a T-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Visit a record store. And not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited. And we are out. out.